All right, you can turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 10. It's where we'll be taking our text from this morning. Revelation chapter 10, Children's Church. Verses 1 through 11. Title of the sermon this morning is pretty short. It's just bittersweet. Bittersweet, and I think as we go along through this, you'll understand the meaning of the title. Um, I know William has led us in prayer, but I want to pray now just specifically God would... Uh, grace me with the strength and with the words that he wants me to speak as we walk through the word together. Father, we thank you once again. Thank you for a time that uh, we could call upon your name. Indeed, Lord, there is no God like you. You are holy, you are righteous, you are true. And Father, we, uh, just in preparation to hear the words, God, we are anticipation of the day that we will see you. God, that uh, we will be in your very presence and understand all of these things that are sometimes murky to us now. But God, we know there's coming a day that everything will be crystal clear. And we look forward to that day. Lord, we would say even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Uh, this world holds nothing for us other than the mandate and the mission that you have called us to. And that is to make your name known among the nations. We love you and thank you for the day. Uh, work as uh, you will through your spirit. Take the words of your holy scriptures and quicken them to our lives. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. All right, so Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 through 11 is where, again, our text, bittersweet is the message. And really, after last week's um, message, we get to kind of take a breath uh, and absorb and kind of assimilate the things that we have thus far seen. It's really a welcome pause in the trumpet judgments uh, where we have seen the wrath and the judgment of God poured out on a rebellious and unrepentant world. I mean, it just seems like that. I don't know how many weeks we have been there in this portion of scripture, but man, as we see this pause, we know that there is still one trumpet yet to sound, right? Seven trumpets. We've, we've opened the seven seals and now we're, we've had that sixth trumpet sound and we're ready for that seventh trumpet to sound. And when that seventh trumpet sounds, there is going to be seven bold judgments that come in rapid succession after each other. And when that seventh trumpet is blown, we know that the physical return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're talking about his return physically to the earth is imminent. And, and we know this, that that word imminent means that it is the next thing that is going to happen. We know that the next thing that is going to happen for the church is this. The next thing that is going to happen for the church is the catching up of the saints, the rapture of the church. That is what is next on the schedule for the church. We don't know when that day is going to be. As a matter of fact, there is absolutely nothing that is needed in Scripture to say that that cannot happen today. And I know that here we are a week later, and we're saying that once again. But I want to reaffirm to you that there is nothing that needs to happen uh, for the church to be caught up. I was walking back in, and I think I told Ann this last night. I was walking back in after doing my evening chores, going out and, you know, walking things up and feeding and all that good stuff, all the animals and critters, that some of them that are they're, uh, just welfare animals out at the house. They really have no use other than they're just there. 
you know, but some of them, you know, like I said, if, if they don't, like the chickens, they don't cooperate, they go to freezer camp, as my, you know, my uh, sister-in-law says. So, but as I was walking back in and I said, Lord, man, it would be so good if you came today. But I said this prayer and, and really I was, at, at first I was just thinking about my animals because I thought, if the rapture happens and I'm gone, then who's going to care for my animals? Uh, but then I realized that, that it's all God's creation. But here was my prayer walking in the house and saying, Father, if the rapture happens, I pray that somebody will come to this house and that when they seek, and, and because we know what the Bible says, how bad it is going to get, right? And that somebody would find our house and not only would they find physical provision in our house, but they would find all the materials that Ann and I have concerning the word of God and the truth of scripture and that they would sit down in our home and say, wow, this stuff that has happened is spoken of out of the Bible. That is a prayer of mine, that somebody would find our home and use those things that we have built up in our home, our library, concerning the Word of God, that that may some way bring somebody to a repentant heart and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that that return is imminent. I believe that it can happen at any moment for the church to be called home. And it's going to be a wonderful time. Chapters 10 and... Uh, through verse or chapter 11 and verse 13 are giving us time to catch our breath. It's, it's kind of a, a parenthesis in the narrative. And it must have been overwhelming for John when he was recording the terribleness of the seals being broken, that the judgment that is being poured out on the world. And it's during the sixth and seventh trumpet that, that that kind of parenthesis in between that God reminds John and those who read the book that God will be victorious and that the end of man's rebellion, the end of Satan's domain, and the end of the believer's tribulation is at hand. The end of the suffering for believers is coming. And this, this little break, those, those tribulation saints will see this and know, hey, we're almost there. We're almost to that point that we know our Lord is going to return. Return. This morning's message shows us these points. There's a different angel. There's a deleted message. There's a definitive message. And finally, a divine mission. A different angel, a deleted message, a definitive message, and a divine mission. Let's look at, uh, again, I, I, just, I, I, was, I was refreshed this week of just studying something besides the wrath of God. <laughs> it was kind of, kind of just a refreshing moment to sit and to kind of catch my breath uh, along with, how, I'm sure, how John had felt as, as he sees these things. But what John sees next, and, and we look at verse um, uh, one, and, uh, 1 and 2, uh, and then we'll kind of start breaking these down a little bit. Actually, 1 through 3, verses 1 through 3. Let me read those, and we'll go back and, and see what all of this means. And uh, chapter 10, verse 1, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was, as it were, the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. And he cried with, a, uh, cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. The first thing that we see is a different angel. 
after seeing the horrendous results of a satanic slaughter that we saw last week, one-third of the world's population, when that sixth trumpet is blown, one-third of the existing world's population is slaughtered by a two-million demonic army controlled by four major demons. And we said we can really look to this being, there are some who said, well, that's a 200 million man physical army. I don't believe that that's the case. I believe it is a demonic army just by the description that we were given in that. We also knew that with that one third that were slaughtered during that, as that sixth trumpet was blown, that that is adding to the already uh, one quarter that was uh, killed uh, earlier and then all the others. So we were saying that very possibly over, well over half of the earth's population by this point are dead. That, that's an amazing thought. I mean, consuming. We're, we're talking about three billion people. We're talking about one-third of the earth being destroyed, the, the green grass, one-third of the oceans, one-third of the fresh waters all being destroyed. And as John has this, this break and he sees this happening, he sees this, another angel coming down. We know that this is not a demon, but rather a holy angel of God. And the, what, the way that we're able to determine that is by his appearance and by his description. And as we look at his appearance, John says this, that he sees an angel come down. That's one of the first things that we can say, okay, this is not a demonic, this is not an angel or a fallen angel, but this is an angel that comes down from heaven. God sends this angel down uh, to heaven. And further, it says um, that there are some that would believe and say, well, this angel is a picture of Jesus Christ. I believe that if we really look at the scriptures, we can say that, no, it's not a picture of Christ. It's simply another very powerful angel and not the Lord. For instance, if you would just look with me at verses 5 and 6, and that's just one of the ways that we can say that this is not uh, speaking about the Lord. Verse 5 says this, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and all things that are therein, and the earth and all things that are uh, therein are, and the sea and the things that are therein, and there shall uh, and there should be no more time. Now let me just ask you this, who is the one who has created all things? Jesus Christ, that's right. So the Bible says, by him, for him, and through him were all things created, right? So if this angel is lifting his hand up and swearing by him who has made all things, this is not Jesus swearing to himself that he has made all things. It is an angel swearing that, hey, by him, the one who has made everything, Amen. by him, I am making this solemn statement. So the angel is further... Um, Oh, let me back up. I'm sorry, I lost my place. For instance, he is clothed in a cloud. Uh, we look at that and it says his appearance is this, that he is, he is clothed in a cloud. And listen, this is what this symbolizes. It symbolizes power, majesty, and glory. It is not his own power, majesty, and glory. It is the power, majesty, and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we also see that clouds are to be associated with judgment. If we go through the scripture, we will see that oftentimes in scripture, when it speaks of clouds, it is speaking about judgment that is impending. So this angel also not only represents the, the power and the majesty and the glory of God, he is also representing that there is still yet to come future judgment. And also, there is something else that clouds represent for us, and this is, I'll just give you a hint right now, this will be a great place for an amen when I finish this. Clouds also represent the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So one of the things, that was very good, by the way, one of the things that, that we see in this is that, that when we see these clouds, and, and John has seen this, this draped with a cloud, just covered with a cloud, he has seen, hey, there's further judgment coming, but also there is the outlook of saying Jesus Christ is close to coming. The coming of the Lord is imminent. Now just think of what this will mean for the believers that are on the earth at the time, right? They are watching these judgments one after another, each one of them becoming more intense. They're, they are seeing the result of man's rebellion and God's wrath poured out on that. And now at this point, they're able to look and say, man, here is a picture that our Lord is getting close to coming. The promise that the Lord says, I will come. Not only does he clothe with a, a cloud, but it says that he has a rainbow on his head. And this is a picture of God's covenant mercy for his people, which will reassure his people that during his judgment of the earth, he has not forgotten them. Amen. Can, can I just can, kind of bring that into scope for today? Now, this is for the people there. Right? This is for those people in that second three and a half years, the believers that are still alive in that second three and a half years of the tribulation period. And the Lord is reminding them, not only this seeing further judgment coming, I'm coming, and he says, and this angel has a rainbow on his head. That rainbow is significant because, again, it is a reminder of God's covenant mercy, right? Now, I don't know about you, that we, we may have even told our kids, you probably told your kids, somebody told me at one time, that when we see a rainbow, what's on the other end of the rainbow? Pot of gold. Can I tell you what, that's a pagan fantasy, right? The real, <laughs> the real, the real deal is, is that that rainbow should be a sign to us that God says that is a covenant of mercy that I will never destroy the earth again by flood. And he uses that rainbow as a, co as a covenant promise to people. He says, I will, not re or I will not forget my people in the midst of trouble. And, and, and just for us, I want to I remind you this morning that as we look at this, I want you as a church to understand our Lord Jesus is coming. Despite what judgment God may bring on this nation as a people, and folks, I'm telling you, if there is not repentance, first of all, in the heart of his people, and if the repentance does not follow as a nation, you can expect more judgment for the United States of America. But in the midst of that, I want to encourage you that despite all of that, that he has not forgotten us. He has not forgotten his people. He will be with us in the midst of that. You know, I got up this week and was, and was just praying for, uh, Ann and I had the privilege of going to East Asia uh, to, to, to be part of a mission uh, effort over there. And, and I am reminded to pray for my brothers and sisters over there who are ongoing in persecution constantly for the cause of Jesus Christ. And again, to tell us as a church 
that we must understand that if we think we are exempt from persecution in the United States, it is pure arrogance on our part. And that's right, brother, forgive us. Somehow that we think that just because we're in America that, that we have no persecution headed our way. And I will tell you, it's not headed our way, it is here. When you have governors making the edict and saying you can't sing in church, I say this, sing louder. Right? It's enough of, enough of the church bowing the knee to Caesar. The church needs to stand and say, I will not bow to Caesar, I will not bow to the state, I will say Jesus Christ is Lord. So, let's carry on. And there's a, there's a fine line that we talk about. I just wanted to use that and say, listen, understand, he's not forgotten us. He will not forget them. He expresses radiance and brilliance of the Lord in that his face shines like the sun. You remember Moses. Moses just being in the presence of the Lord. You know, that, that he had to put a veil over his face because the glory that was the, the aftershine of just being in the presence of the Lord, the people couldn't even look on him. Have you ever been in the presence of a godly person and you know they're godly and you can just see the radiance and glory of God in their life? I think part of the problem is, is, is we, we as God's people have gotten so far away and we spend so little time with the Lord, there's very little glory reflected in our lives. That we're consumed with everything else in the world and we do not spend the time that we need in the presence of a holy and righteous God and therefore there isn't that brilliance and radiance Shown from our lives. We're just reflecting his glory. Amen? Amen? That's what this angel was doing. He was brilliant like the sun. It says his feet were like pillars of fire. Again, fire symbolizes judgment. His feet being pillars of fire symbolizes God stamping out judgment and rebellion with a holy fire. And we say it jokingly. You know about all the stuff about global warming. Believe me, saints, there is a day that global warming is coming. And it will come with a holy fire of God's judgment. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 1 is a great place to check that out. So we've talked about this angel's appearance. Let's talk about his actions. What was he doing there? Again, these, these let us know there's just an angel, but they're significant in what he is saying. It says that he holds a little book. Well, what is this little book that he's holding? It's really a picture of the scroll that we've seen unrolled, right? Now, just go back and imagine we've seen the scroll that is unrolled, and, and so we understand there's, there's a seal on the outside, right? And that seal was there because not just anyone could open up that scroll. We learned that the scroll was the title deed to the earth. That God the Father passes off to God the Son. And that first seal is broken, and you rolled it open a little bit, and it had the description of what was going to come. And then once that happened, then you'd break it open with another seal, and you would unroll it a little further until we break open all seven seals, and now we have all seven seals, and the scroll is unrolled. Now that's fixing to happen. We have, it does, hasn't happened yet, but John sees the angel holding this little book. And say, well, why is it little? Well, it's for the sake of our, our, our visualization to see what John is going to do with it in a minute. Which he's going to take that little book and he's going to be commanded to eat that little book. 
So here's the scroll that we have been talking about, the title deeds of the earth. It is full of the judgment of God, but it's not only full with the judgment of God, it's full of the promise of God that he's coming to redeem the earth and redeem his people. So we see him holding this little book. He places his feet, this angel places his feet in the sea and on the earth. What's the picture of it's a picture that God is in sovereign control over everything. I don't know about you, but I find that very comforting. And I'm sure that John did as well, knowing that, listen, despite what is going on in the world, God is in control. Can I just tell you that, that it did not happen in heaven, and, and I know it's an exaggeration and it's silly, but it did not happen in heaven when all this stuff going on with the virus, and God says, oh my, what are we going to do? You know, let, let's, get a, let's get an executive meeting together with the Son, the, the Spirit, and the Father and decide how are we going to handle this. No. With all the nonsense that's going on in our country with the anarchy and the Marxism that is, that is being raised up right now in an attempt to overthrow our country, it is not surprising God. By the way, can I tell you that is not only in our country, but it is a worldwide movement? And why is it a worldwide movement? Because there's coming a time that there's going to be a worldwide government. These are things that are spoken of through the scriptures. And, man, and we got Christians that are like, oh my, oh my, oh my. Now, now I'm concerned. But I can tell you this, that when that day comes, the church is going to be gone. Our concern right now is to be a witness to tell people that that day is coming and that they better get their life in order right now. The church ought to be preaching a message of repentance. The church has to stop preaching the message. You come to Jesus and he's going to make your life good. Really? What happens when you are carted off to jail for preaching Jesus? I have a hard time saying, well, that was good. Man, I love being in jail. Well, he sets his feet down on the sea and on the earth, and he is saying that God has authority over all creation. Then he cries out with a loud roar likened unto a lion. The words that God uses are very important. Can I tell you that? God does not waste words. And when he uses certain words to describe out of the Bible, they are there for a reason. He says that he roars like a what? Like a lion, like the lion of Judah, like the lion that is royalty and majesty. And he cries out, and the people, John, hears. What is interesting about this is that when he roars this out, that that initiates the voices of seven thunders. Interesting. We don't know what he roars, but we know that when he does do that, in verse 3, he says, And cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth, and when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And it's like, huh, what, what is that about? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that leads us to our second point. Verse 4, a deleted message. You see, when this... This angel cries out. It initiates the voices of seven thunders. And we, let me just read verse 4, and then we'll go back and talk about it a little bit. And it says, And when the thunders had uttered their voices, 
I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Interesting. John, he says, you know, he's been writing up to this point. He hears something. He hears a message from these seven thunders voicing something to them. And as he gets ready to write, he's, he's going to get the, uh, the instruction not to. But let's just talk about that. Just as clouds are symbols of judgment, so too are thunderings. And when he hears these thunderings, it has something to do with the coming judgments. Now, it, it would be speculation on our part to try and figure it out. So we won't speculate on what those things were, because that's all it would be. But it could have been so horrendous that when he gets ready to write them down, he said, don't do it. Don't do it. You know, the Bible says that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. I told you last week, and all of you with a collective gasp, you know, when I said I'd seen the guy that was holding the sign, if Jesus comes again, you know, we'll kill him again. The evilness of man's heart. There will be a point that God will crush rebellion. But can I tell you this, that as vile and as wicked as, as that statement was, and I, and I find it vile and wicked, can I tell you what the person that's counting on getting into heaven by their own good works when God looks at them and saying, listen, I'm going to tell you what, you'll spend the same eternity in hell with that man. Because what you're doing is you're trying to scale yourself and saying, I'm a good person and compare to him and saying, no, there's none righteous, no, not one. You see, that, that's the great lie that Satan tells people. You're okay, you're not as bad as that guy. And the world just keeps on getting worse and worse and worse. And these seven thunders cry out something. It's not from the angels, separate from them. It's not just a noise. They spoke something that John is going to write down. And as he prepares to write it down, he's told to seal it up instead of writing it down. Again, we don't want to speculate over what it was. We don't know. But here's something to think about. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 states this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Do you know there's some things that you and I just simply don't need to know? We, we, don't, we don't need to know. You know, everybody wants the answers for everything. Can I tell you what? There, there have been a great many times in my life I've just simply had to say, I don't know. I don't know. That's not for me to know. Wasn't that Job's problem? Job says, well, I tell you what, if the Lord was here, I'd ask him why this is going on. Then the Lord turns around to him and says, tell you what, oh son, brace yourself, because I'm fixing to ask you some questions. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I was creating the universe? And old brother Job says, Man, I just overstepped my bounds. You see, there are things that are only to be known to God. Job said it, let me paraphrase what Job said, verse chapter 37 and verse 5, he says, there are things, that this is a paraphrase, 
There are things God says and does that we can't comprehend. I don't understand a lot of things, but what I can understand are the things that he has given us in his holy scriptures. He makes it possible for us to understand those things. We ought to focus on those things rather than trying to understand those things that we cannot understand. So he's given a deleted message, but then he is also given a definitive message. Let's look at um, verses 5 through 7. And the angel which, saw, uh, which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are therein and on the earth and the things that are therein and the sea and the things that are therein that there should be no time longer. You can, you can underline that little phrase. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound... The mystery of God should be finished as he had declared to his servants the prophets. That's the seventh angel who's getting ready to blow the trumpet. Verse 8. Let me just stop right there. No, 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 we'll stop right there. It's a definitive message that, that John is given, and we know this. It's a serious message by the evidence that the angel raises his right hand toward heaven and he swears by him who lives forever and ever, the one who has created everything. Listen, if you've got a holy angel taking the time out to swear an oath saying that uh, what I am fixing to say is absolutely holy and true because I'm swearing it on the one who has created all that there is. You know, the problem, some people say, well, we shouldn't swear an oath. No, the Bible says if you take an oath, you need to keep your oath. And if, if you're not, not going to be able to, to swear on something that is holy and true and right, then it really has no meaning at all anyway. He's getting ready. It's a serious message because he swears by him who lives forever and ever. ever. This further indicates that what he is about to say is absolutely going to happen. You know, sometimes I think in Christians' minds that they read the scriptures and they don't really believe what they're reading. Now, what, why do I say that? Because it's evidenced by the way that we live. If we really believe what we're, what we're seeing here, then I think it would dramatically change the outlook of, of God's people. Do we really believe that we're coming down to an end? Well, I don't know how much longer it's going to be. I will tell you this, that you and I are one day closer to eternity. Whether he takes you by death or whether he takes you by the rapture, you are one day closer and you will not get the 24 hours back that you have been given. And so we have to take a look and say, what am I doing with what he has given me? And, and, and he is, this angel is trying to get across, listen, what I'm telling you, I am swearing that what I am telling you is true and I am telling you that he is coming and he is not going to delay. Some would say this, well, I've been hearing that all of my life. Well, the Lord says, yeah, and I gave you an answer that I'm not slow in keeping my promises, as some suppose, but I'm patient. But we as God's people, we have to make the effort to warn people and let them know that. It is criminal for us to, to hold the truth and not tell the truth. 
That's why Paul cried out. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? Because he understands power for life is in the gospel. I know it's a difficult day. Do you know that that I have been the pastor here for two years? Do you know how many salvations that I have seen since I've been pastor here is two years? Two. One is sitting there staring at me smiling. The other was a young man. Two. I know it's a difficult day. But it does not mean that we do not go out with the seed of the gospel and spread it wide and far and then say, God, add the blessing and God, you bring the harvest. Amen? Amen. Well, he's got a definitive message there. What he's going to say is absolutely true. It's going to impact all of creation. Verse 6 tells us that. He says that it is everything that has been made by him. Everything that is in the earth, everything that is in the sea, everything that is in the atmosphere, he says it is going to be impacted by the coming of the Lord Jesus. And he says he will not delay longer. In other words, he says when this seventh angel blows that trumpet, folks, count on it. It is near. Now, it could be weeks. It could be months after that seventh trumpet is blown. But the imminent physical return of the Lord Jesus Christ is right on the heels of that. Seven rapid bowl judgments, boom, 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 boom. And then the Lord says he is going to come back, and, he's, and guess who's going to be with him? Yeah. It's my old Arkansas, Arkansas buddy says, Weans. Weans is going to be with him. This is the end. God's full and final judgment is his hand. To take place during those seven bold judgments again, perhaps weeks, perhaps months, but immediate upon that, the Lord will return. It is the end that every prophet, every preacher, every teacher, and every faithful witness has ever testified to. Think about that. That God has called you and me, he, every prophet out of the Old Testament, every prophet coming up through the New Testament, the transition from prophets to, to pastors and, and, and evangelists and, and teachers and, and then just faithful witnesses, every single one of us that have been proclaiming the gospel of Christ and saying that there's coming a day that our Lord Jesus will return, he says that that is fixing to take place. Can I tell you, saints, Every time you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are fulfilling what is about to take place. Last point is this. There's a divine mission. Verses 8 through 11. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book, that little book, that scroll that we had talked about, which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth, and I went unto the angel, and I said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it, and eat it, eat it up. And it shall be, make thy belly bitter, but it shall be uh, in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand, and I ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, it my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again. 
before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. You see, the angel gave a definitive message, but John was given a divine mission. He's given this command to take the little book and eat it. In other words, he is to devour the word of God. I'm going to tell you what, if, if for the average follower of Christ, if their diet was the word of God, we would have a bunch of skinny people. Am I honest? That for the average Christian, how much time they actually spend devouring the word of God, eating the word of God, being fed by the word of God. That's why we have so much uncertainty, wringing of hands and looking to the government for the help instead of looking to the God of all help. The Bible says that he will keep you at perfect peace. His mind is stayed on thee. You know, in the midst of all this, we can be at perfect peace. I mean, good night. I mean, I, yeah, again, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like what's going on in, in, in my country. I don't like seeing what's happening here. But I can tell you this, that whatever happens, and, and if, you know, that God is in control. And he has chosen you and me to live in this day and time for this specific season. We aren't here by accident. God sovereignly decided to, to allow you and I to live in this day. The question is, are we going to be faithful with the mission that he's given us? You see, he gave John a divine mission, and he says, take this, devour it, eat it, digest it, study it, assimilate it, act on it. It, it. it does no good if God's people hear the word of God over and over, read the word of God over and over, study the word of God over and over, if they do not act on the word of God. No good. You're a walking walk in encyclopedia. But unless you put it into action, it is, it is doing you no good. It is doing no one else any good. It's more blessed to give than to receive, right? You receive much, give a bunch away. It's bittersweet. It's sweet. Man, I love hearing about I love hearing about what's going to happen. I love hearing that there's going to be a day you and I are going to be in eternal felicity with the Lord. Like that fancy word, felicity? It means eternal happiness. I like to impress you sometimes. It's going to be a wonderful time. That's the sweet part of it. The sweet part is that our Lord is going to receive the glory that he has deserved. The sweet part is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But the bitter part is, woe, woe, woe unto a world that continues to rebel against him. Because he says that it's a lot better for you to fall on the rock and to be broken than for the rock to fall on you. Amen? Amen. I have to say that from a physical standpoint, there are times that I would say, God, I want to see justice. But I can tell you that I would not want to see any man go to hell. 
But we can't stop that for some because they simply will. But we can be like Jude and we can go to others and it's worth snatching them out of the fire by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. He goes on to tell him, he says, you must prophesy to an unbelieving world. John, now remember, John is an old man, right? I mean, I mean John's an old man. And, and by the way, he was not on vacation on the Isle of Patmos. He was, he was making little ones out of big ones, right? He was in hard labor as a man well into his 80s. And he was there, he says, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Nothing more. Nothing more. John is probably saying, you know, I was just happy to go ahead and, you know, just be here in this penal colony, but now you're telling me I've got to go back and, and prophesy about what's coming? You see, the Lord has given us a very definitive message as well as he's given to John. He says, you write these things down and you go back again, it says, verse 11, thou must prophesy again before many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. We may not go before nations and kings, but we can certainly go before our neighbors, our family, and share the gospel. Right? That's what he's called us to do. Church, it's time. It's time. Believe me, the, the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking in America. And dependent on how the church responds, I believe is going to determine the way America goes. The day for coming and sitting on a pew are over with. No more pew potatoes. You got to get out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you can't get out in the public, get on, get on Facebook until they put you in Facebook jail. Share the gospel. Get on your face before God and say, God, start with me. Show me my sin. Show me my idols so that I can have a clean heart. Right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us. Thank you for your message. We pray, God, that we would be faithful servants. Thank you, God, that you have made it very clear that you will spare us from judgment. That God, prepare us for persecution. Raise up men and women who are warriors for the cause of Christ. Ambassadors who will go into a foreign land and speak the truth. Help us to recognize that we are pilgrims passing through this world. Father, help us to be done with good-feeling good messages and, and just that, uh, teach me something and make me feel good and go home and live any way I want to. Convict us of our sin, O oh God. Forgive us, Father, for being so selfish, complacent. Give us a heart for kingdom work. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.